0: Let's start with a icebreaker question. What's your life about? I know that maybe as heavy, just like, oh, OK, we're getting right into it. When you think about your life, what is it about? Your life is limited. Your life doesn't have forever. Maybe they might take your brain and upload it to AI, and then it will live on forever. But right now, your life is limited, and in some ways, you can think of it as a battery. I know some of yours is maybe further down here, and maybe some of it's further up. But your life is like a battery. Think about this even. If you had your phone or a computer, and, you, and maybe some of you have been in this situation before, and you, you look at the battery life, and you know, I've only got this much time left. I've been at a coffee shop before and it uh, didn't bring my power cord, and I knew, okay, I only have this much time left on my computer to get work done. So if I've got two hours or whatever it is left, what are the most important things? What am I going to spend my time doing? Because there is a battery life that exists on this device. And the same thing is true with your life. We don't know when it will end. It might just kind of short out, and oh, look, that was perfect timing. It just... It might just kind of short out. We actually had the best production crew in the world. So when I snapped, they, boom, they shut it off. Uh, it, it might just kind of short out. It might just kind of gradually come to the end. But your life does have a battery life on it. And what are you going to use it for? What is the most important things to use it for? Often we don't think about that. Often we are just living our life and going through our life. And we are busy. We are doing things. But we don't necessarily live with the understanding that each day it is getting a little more yellow, a little more red. It is losing life eventually. And a lot of times we aren't thinking in that way. And sometimes if we're pressed, if we're pressed to say, what is your life about? A lot of times we go to answers of, well, you know, I want to be happy I want my life to just be fulfilling. Maybe we might say something like I want to make a difference or I want to help the next generation or we may think about kind of a a bucket list like it's not necessarily what my life is about, but what do I want to use it for while it's running out? I want to sort of get these things done and see this place and travel here and do these kind of fun things or we, we kind of think about that at times. But your life is being used. It is being used, and it does have a time span on it, however long that is. And as your life is being used, it is being used for something. It's being used for something. We've been talking about in the book of Ephesians this idea that we are all building And you are building in your life towards something, whether intentional or unintentional, we are building in our life. We might know what that is, or we might not know what it is. It might just kind of be happening haphazardly, or we may be focused. It might be the right thing. It might be the wrong thing. But we are using our life for something. We are building towards something. And when we reflect upon our life, We want to use it well. Again, I know that we don't often just kind of start our day with, what is my life about? But when we reflect, like if if you're honest, when you reflect about your life, you want to use it well. You want your life to not be wasted. You want it to be focused. You want it to have kind of an aim or a target that you're going towards. You want it to have meaning you want it to even kind of be organized in such a way that, all right, things are moving in a good direction. These are, This is being used and this is being used all towards this end. That is what we want when we're reflective about it, right? None of us comes in here today just feeling like, I don't really care about my life. I don't care where it goes. I don't care what it's for. It doesn't matter. When the battery runs out, the battery runs out, the end. We want it to be used for something when we are reflective. We want to know it matters. We want to know it has meaning. And and here's also the truth. God wants to give your life focus. God wants to give your life meaning. God wants to give your life purpose. That is what God wants for you. That's what he desires for you to be able to experience your life and your days, to be able to have focus, to give meaning to everything that you are doing. And the question we're going to ask today is how? How do we live a life that has a focus, a meaning, a purpose, an aim? How can we live in that way? And to do that, the book of Ephesians will help us. And there's five things that God gives to us, five things that God gives that will help us to experience a life where where when the question is asked, what is your life about? It's very clear and we know the answer. And so we're going to read this. Passage. It's actually we actually read this last week also, but we're going to really focus in on just one part. And sorry that the screen kind of keeps cutting in and out. Uh, maybe it's a spiritual metaphor. I don't know. We'll we'll just see. But let's just read this, and then we'll focus in really on this last part. Here's what it says: For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves; it's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Five things that God gives to us that can help us live with focus and meaning and purpose. Here's the first one, salvation. And really, we talked about this a ton last week, and if you're interested in that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon from last week. But the big idea is that God gives salvation. God saves us. We are, and I can't repeat everything from last week, but we are sinners, the Bible teaches We are sinful. We are following the ways, it says earlier in Ephesians, we're following the ways of the world where we just kind of go along with the world. We go along with its values, with its systems, with its ideas. We go along with the world. We go along with Satan unknowingly most of the time, but we go along, he tempts us, he leads us to things and we follow right along. And we go along with our own flesh, our own desires, our own intuition, our own passions inside of us. Oftentimes, that is how we live, saying, what do I want? What is it that I need? What do I think? That's how we make decisions. That's how we process reality, is self-centered. And the big idea with sin, in all of those different ways, is that sin is not just bad things. It is. It's not just not doing good things. It is. But sin is rejecting and ignoring God. That's sin, which can look very different. Sometimes that looks like living in some ways a good life, and sometimes it looks like living a bad life. But sin is a fundamental posture that is living without reference to God. Instead, living with the course of the world, living with a self-centered view that really is just, what do I want? What do I think? Living following Satan, but living essentially without reference to God. Rejecting Ignoring God, but God saves you are saved by grace. It's God's gift. It's not from yourselves That's the first thing that God gives to us Not because of anything we do because of his love because of his mercy. It is a gift that he gives freely We don't deserve it Now when we talk about living with purpose, we talk about living with meaning we have to start in this place that God saves us because this is the foundation of all of it. It's the foundation of thinking through any sort of meaning in life or focus in life or what is your life about because you have to start with the reality that you have been saved, which means you don't have control of your life anymore. It doesn't belong to you anymore. I don't know if you've ever read the book or seen the play. It's actually coming to Denver uh, later uh, this year or seen the movie. We, were, we are watching this movie with my family right now. I say watching because we only watched uh, half of it. We'll finish the rest today. But uh, the, the movie Les Miserables, or play Les Miserables, if you've ever seen that. But it begins, if you've never seen it, I, I mean, it's a classic kind of work of uh, uh, novel. I, I can't kind of go through all of it. But in the very beginning, there's a man named Jean Valjean, which I wish my name was Caleb Val Caleb. I don't know how he got his first and last name you know, combined, but it doesn't sound as good. But his name is Jean Valjean, and he's a criminal. He's a criminal. This priest lets him come into his home. He feeds him, and uh, he lets him stay the night there. And then Jean Valjean, in the middle of the night, it robs him. He takes kind of his expensive silverware and and these things, which you know I I know we don't normally think of silverware as expensive, but back in the day, he, he takes his silverware, and he leaves. The police catch him. They bring him back to the priest, and they say, we caught this person. Now, obviously, if they've caught him, He's stolen. He just got out of prison for 20 years. They're going to put him back in prison for the rest of his life, right? And the priest says, no, I gave that to him. I gave those things to him. And in fact, Jean Valjean, you forgot the candlesticks. These are worth 3,000 francs each. And he, he, gives them, he gives him more. And they leave. And, the, and Jean Valjean says to him, why did, you, why did you do that? And he says to him, he says, with this, I have purchased your life away from evil and to God. It now belongs to God. With this act of grace, I have ransomed, he even uses that language, I've ran, which is biblical language, I've ransomed or freed or paid the price, I've ransomed your life away from Satan, from sin, the world, and I've bought it to God. And in the book, especially, he articulates and feels, he says, my soul now belongs to God because of this act of grace that is done. And this is really what the Bible is giving to us as well, because what it says is God has given you grace that you didn't deserve. He has bought your life away from this and to him, which thus now we belong to him. We belong to him. Salvation means rescue from Satan's sin, the world, ourselves, living without reference to God, but it's salvation from salvation to that we now belong to him. We lose control. Our life is his. So that's the starting place of what God gives to you that we need to understand that will give us actually a life of purpose and focus and ransomed away from these things to something else. The second thing is that he gives us creation that God saves you. And when we're talking about creation here, we're talking about that God designs you. God made you. God designed you and who you are. Now listen, I know from talking to many people throughout my life, many of us in some ways don't like who we are. I don't mean totality. I don't mean every single thing, but there's parts of ourselves that we don't like. We might look at somebody else and go, I wish I was like that. I wish I had that. I wish I had that gifting. Sometimes it's more superficial. It's just, I wish I looked like that, or I wish I had those skills. But we can look and go, I wish I was more like that person. And I'm not talking about the positive ways that we should try to follow people's example, but we just go, man, I wish I had those gifts. I wish I had those experiences. I wish my life was more like that. And we can feel a jealousy, maybe a discontent, maybe comparison, and not really like or be satisfied or content with the person that we are. But Paul says this. He says, we are his workmanship. We are, that word workmanship in the Greek is poema, which is where we get our word poem from. But it's not just that we are his poem. That, that word was used to just talk about a masterpiece. That we are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. That God designed you, that you, I know this is hard to believe, that you are God's masterpiece. You are, think about, I don't, I don't know if you like art very much, uh, but if you've ever seen any of the great works of art, had a chance to go to Italy a few years ago and saw many of the great works of art, saw David's naked Michelangelo, you know, uh, the Michelangelo's naked David statue, like, oh, wow, that's beautiful. And naked, you know, and kids giggle. But it's like, it's it's it, you can look at this naked thing because it's art, right? You see some of da Vinci's work. You see some of Rembrandt's work. Picasso, these great, I mean, just whatever. You think about these great works of art. You know, these are masterpieces. These are amazing. God's better than the best artist. God's better than the best sculptor. God's better than, maybe if you're not into the, that kind of art, God's better than the best author, the best director. God's better than all of, these, all of these masterpiece works of art. God is better than those. He takes his time more. He's more intentional. He's more thoughtful. He's more creative. He's more skilled. And he says, you are my workmanship. I made you with all of the skill, with all of the ability, with all of the creativity, with all of the wisdom, with all of the experience, with all of the carefulness that I have as an artist, I make you. You are my workmanship. Now that's amazing that God says, I made you, and you are my masterpiece. Now that's true in your birth. The Bible talks about God knitting us together in our mother's womb, that we are designed by him from the very moment of conception, that God brings us together and makes us. That's beautiful. This is not actually talking about your initial design by God, but it's talking about that as you become a Christian, as you are saved, you are created in Christ as his workmanship. You are created in him as his workmanship which means that as you become a Christian, you get new thoughts, you get new gifting, you get new desires. You're not totally made from one person to another person. You still retain your personality. You still retain your your body. You still are you. But as you become a Christian, you are created in Christ as a different kind of person. You think differently. You feel differently. You experience differently. You have different passions and will and desires, and you are created in him as a masterpiece, not an accident. God was thoughtful. This language probably can't exactly use this language, but we could say God took his time with you. He was thoughtful in designing and creating you. He looks at you and says, exactly. That's what I wanted You're his masterpiece, which means at least this, that we can be content with, God designed me like this. If, If you're a Christian, that God, as he saved you, gave you the gifts, gave you the experiences of him and said, this is who I am making you to be. God designed you. He created you. And this is also true, that he is still making you. You are created in Christ Jesus but he is still making you. There's salvation, and then there is sanctification, which is God's ongoing work, your gradual growth in holiness, in righteousness. He made you, he created you, but if you want to kind of switch the metaphor in some ways, you're not necessarily a completed work of art, but you are like the great cathedrals that took hundreds of years to build. You are like, uh, I, I heard a story about, It was uh, Michelangelo, he was sculpting, and he's on this kind of, maybe you've heard this before, he's he's on this rock, you know, just chipping away at this rock, and somebody comes and asks him, what are you doing? Because it just looks like this formless rock, and he says, I am freeing an angel from this stone. In some ways, that is also true of our lives, of what God is doing. That God is chiseling away at the parts in us that are not who he has designed us to be. He is working away and freeing from our stone heart, our self-centeredness, the ways we follow the world, the ways we follow Satan. He is chiseling away and creating us to be who he has designed you to be. So God has created you in Christ, and he is creating you. He is working. He is bringing things into your life. Listen, you need to know that too. Everything that God brings into your life. The Bible says that the the suffering, the pain, the hard stuff, God is bringing it into your life not to hurt you, but to chisel away, to refine you, to free the angel, in Michelangelo's words, to take away the stone, to create you who he has designed you to be. That happens through his word, that happens through friends it happens through rough experiences in our life but god is committed to you he is you are his workmanship you are created in him and he is ongoingly creating you you are his masterpiece and he is committed to you he doesn't give up on you i think that is wonderful news to look at our life and to go there's still parts that need to be chiseled away and god says i know and I'm committed to you. I'm working. You are my masterpiece, and I have designed you, and I am committed to you. Listen, you can know this. You can know that you will change if you're a Christian. You will change because God won't change. He will continue to be faithful. He will continue to love. He will continue to chisel. He will continue to sanctify. You can know That who you are is not who you are going to continue to be. Because who he is will be who he continues to be. You will change because God doesn't change. He is committed to you. He's working on you. You're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. And he is continuing to do that. God designed you. You are created. God gives us salvation. God gives us creation. And then God gives us a destination. God gives us a destination. He assigns us to a path. He saves you, he creates you, and he destines you. He has a specific place in mind, a specific goal, a specific uh, just direction that he is seeking to lead you towards. It says that he, we were created in Christ Jesus, and I'm just going to focus on this word, for, it says for good works, but for something. And to just use the language of for means there's, there's a reason he's doing this. There's somewhere it's going. He saved you. Why? For something. He designed you and created you. Why? For something. It's, there's a purpose to it. There's a destination to it. It's leading somewhere. He says there is a destination. And that way it's maybe more like technology than like art. You look at a painting, and in some ways, what's it for? Well, it's just for me to marvel at it and go, wow. But when we talk about God's workmanship or him designing you, it might be more like technology, that there's a reason it was designed for something. And the masterpieces and the great works of technology that have existed, whether that's a bridge, somebody's structural engineers and multiple people design this thing for something, not just to look at and go, wow, but it has a purpose. It has a function. There's a reason to get from here across the water or across the canyon or whatever it is. There's a four or the iPhone or, or a Mac or this This maybe is not a great example because it's not working well, but a, a some sort of technology. It was designed for something. Steve Jobs invented, designed the iPhone for something. It's not just to be looked at and go, wow, a nice black brick. It's, it's for something. It has a purpose, a design to it. Our lives are like that. There's a for in them. God designed you with a destination, with a use in mind. And sometimes we start our life, we start our decisions, we start our just kind of processing with what do I want? What will make me happy? What are the decisions that I would like to make, that I think about, that will be fulfilling for me? And we, if we're honest, think little about the for, What am I for? What did God save me for? What did God design me for? And we try to create our own meaning. We try to create our own purpose. We try to create our own framework for living in life. Instead of pressing into what was I made, saved, designed for. This says there is a destination. There is a for that God has. And listen, things don't Thrive when they're not used the way they were meant to be used. Things don't thrive if you don't use them the way they were designed to be used. This is a PowerPoint clicker thing for this. That's what this is for. But if I tried to use this as a shovel, it wouldn't I, we, I couldn't say, "Man, this shovel sucks." I would have to say, I'm not using it for what it was designed for. I remember one time when my kids were younger, they were in the backyard, and we had asked them to do some weeding. And I don't know why this is what they decided to do, but they were using a badminton racket to weed. I was like, that's not what that's for, you know? So that's going to take you a long time. This could be a teaching moment. I'll just sit here and wait. You aren't getting paid by the hour here, you know? A badminton racket isn't designed to do that. It's not what it is for. A mitten, if it was alive, if the mitten, if this was a Disney movie and somehow the badminton racket was alive, it's Toy Story, it feels it is alive. It feels it's pushing into its purpose when it is swinging in the air and hitting birdies. That's when it says, this is what I was made for. That, not when it's shoveling in the dirt, in the weeds. We have a destination. A, God saved you for something. He designed you for something. Something and we will only thrive and experience our fullness When we are living with the four not when we are trying to create the four ourselves When we say I'm my own and I will decide my meaning purpose Direction we will miss out When we say I'm his he designed me. He made me I belong to him. He has authority that's when We actually experience a life of focus and meaning and purpose. Let me ask you, are you living into consciously, are you trying to align your life with what you were created for? Or just trying to make it yourself? And he doesn't leave us clueless. He says that God designed us for something. And what is it? It is for good works. He saved you for good works. He created you. For good works. There is a specific thing that it is for. You have a specific function and he tells us what it is. You were saved for good works. You were designed, created for good works. He tells it to us right here. We are saved. You are saved. You are designed. You are created for good works. God's vision for your life and for this world isn't just that we believe the right things. It's not just that we feel the right things. We just get the facts right. We believe the Bible. We have a lot of knowledge. We don't do bad things. We sing songs on Sunday. We get upset about the culture. And that's kind of it. That's your Christian life. Do those things, the end. God has a purpose of actually things for us to do. He says, I created you. I saved you for good works. There is a purpose he is a destination that he is leading us to. He has works for you to do. He wants who he has been to you to come through you, who he has been for you to come from you. That is what he says. There is a destination of good works that he has for you. And what, is that, what are good works? I think sometimes that's another kind of Christian phrase that we can be like, what does that mean, good works? Helping old ladies across the street, serving in a soup kitchen, helping old ladies at a soup kitchen, like, yes, all those things, that, that's all included in good works, but it's more than that. It really is just any act of love done in faith. It is the good things that God has put before us. It includes things in your marriage. It includes things with your children. It includes things in your church. It includes generosity and serving and helping people. And it includes your friendships. And it includes all sorts of things that we do in love with faith. Meaning we are doing this for God in connection to God for other people. That's what good works are. So it's an encompassing term. It isn't this kind of tiny little subset of, of charities. It is an encompassing term when we actually love those around us. When we seek to serve, when we seek to give, when we seek to bless, when we seek to help, when we seek, it can be conversations, it can be actions, but when we step into, I want to bring good into this person, into this place, into this neighborhood, into my work, into my marriage, into my family, it's, I'm bringing good, I'm bringing love. Into this area. That is what good works are. It's a very broad thing. Sometimes, and maybe you feel this, sometimes we feel bored as Christians. We feel stuck as Christians. We feel kind of like, I can't really make any more progress. Sometimes we even feel like, I don't feel like there's anything, I don't think this is true, but sometimes we feel like this. There's nothing more to learn kind of, I've been a Christian for a while, I kind of got it, no one really can teach me much anymore. We kind of feel stuck or we feel bored. I'll tell you this, most often that is because we're not actually living into what our destination is. All of the information is intended to do something with. All of the growth, all of the, all of the knowledge that you have of God, all of the Bible study, all of the, everything is actually intended to lead you to action. And we can, it's like you've been given a jersey. We'll just use the Broncos, even though you know, they're not great, but we'll just use them because we're here in Denver. You've, the Broncos' jersey has been given to you. It's on you. You have it. You've been brought on the team. And then you're sitting on the bench just going, man, this is boring. Huh, this is just kind of boring. What do I need? Oh, I know. I need to study about basketball more. And so you kind of study some basketball plays, or sorry, I was, I was switching to the nuggets. You're, you're really off direction. You're like, man, I'm reading the wrong book completely. Some of us do that. You know, we go to, all right, you're, you're, I need to study football more. Maybe I need to watch Rudy. I need to, I don't know, you're just, you're, and you're bored, and you're stuck, and you're feeling like this isn't very exciting, and this isn't really going anywhere, and nothing's really happening, and And I and I feel maybe I do need something else. Maybe football is the problem, and I do need to do basketball instead. We do the same thing in basketball. Maybe maybe it's baseball. Maybe I need to you know just to do that. But no, you know what the problem is. You need to get on the field and play. That's the problem. You've been brought on a team. You've been given a jersey, but you're designed with a destination to actually do good works. You've been saved. You've been created. Why? With a destination for good works. That's actually where joy comes in. That's where you feel alive. That's where you don't feel bored anymore. That's where also you feel the need to go, I need to read the Bible more. I need to pray more. Because now you're in the game. Now you're in the game and you feel like you don't know what to do and you need help and you need to call on God and you need to get community and... So often, the reason we're stuck, the reason we're bored, is because we're not actually doing what you were designed to do. There's a destination to do, to be engaged. That's where you will feel joy. That's where you'll actually grow more. That's where you'll actually feel more a part of something bigger than yourself when you push into the destination that God has for you. Do you feel bored? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel joyless? Maybe. It's because you're not actually living with what you were designed for and saved for. Are you pushing into the destination that God has for you? So God saves you. That's salvation. God designs you. That's creation. God assigns you. That's a destination that you have. And then God also gives us preparation with this, I would say that God is with you. See, because there are good works for us to do. That is what God designed us for, good works. They, there are good works for us to do, but at times, we are afraid. At times, we are afraid. We might feel, this is too much for me. This is too big for me. This is, this is overwhelming. We may feel like, I can't do it. It feels hard to do the good works that we see. It feels intimidating to do the good works that we see. We experience or imagine a cost of what the good works would be for us to do. If I do this, I might lose out on something. Fear. If I step into this, I don't know if I have what it takes. Fear. This seems uphill. This is going to take a long time. This is challenging. Fear. We feel overwhelmed. We feel like we can't do it. We feel like it'll cost us too much. We'll lose out on something good that we want. The rest, the comfort, the other things, the other possibilities. We don't want to close ourselves in to just playing football. There's so many other sports. What about cricket? Like there's so many things. I don't want to lock myself in. At times we are living in fear and it feels hard. It feels difficult to do the good works in our church. It feels difficult to do the good works in our parenting. It feels difficult to do the good works in our marriage. It feels difficult to do the good works in our job and in our community with the people around us. It feels challenging. And what he tells us here is that God has prepared these good works ahead of time for us. God has prepared them. He's gotten them ready. God gives salvation, creation, a destination, but he is also prepared. He gives preparation. It's not just that you have to go out there and find good works. God has actually prepared them for us. I don't know if you've ever uh, been to one of these places. My wife and I did a date once. Uh, It's one of those places where you you pay them to make your dinner. Have you ever gone to those places? It's a racket. But you go to these places and... It's like a kitchen. A bunch of people go in and you're paid to make your own food. And they're just sitting in the corner laughing like, ha, 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 gotcha. But really what happens is this. You go up to your station and everything has been prepared for you. The recipe is prepared for you. All the right things that you need are there for you. you, I think when we went, we were making Mexican food of some kind. I think we were making a pozole and now I'm getting hungry. We're making other things. And, uh, and so they give you the right amount of limes. They give you all the tools right there. They give you their peppers right there. They're, it's all set out for you. It's all prepared for you. You're not just walking in blind to an empty room and they say, make some food and give me hundred dollars or whatever it is, right? They, it's all prepared for you. They've laid it out for you. You have work to do. You've got to chop. You've got to Drop the things in the bowl of boiling water. You've got to do stuff, but it's all been prepared for you. It's all been laid out for you ahead of time. It was all gotten ready for you. There's work for you to do, but they prepared it for you. That's what this is. He says that God has gotten it all ready for you. There are good works for you to do, and you're not by yourself. God's already prepared it for you. There's good works for you to do and God has already been working. He's already been working in you because he designed you for this, but he's also readied the situation for you. He's gotten it set for you to engage in, which means this, you, the good works are there in your life, okay? They're there in your marriage, in your children, in your home, in your church. The good works are there. And most of the time, you see them. You see what needs to be done. You see what the needs are. You see what the possibilities are. You see what the potential of what could be done is. The good works are ready. You see them. You see what could be. And what happens? Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we go, "Ah, I don't have time for that. Sometimes we are scared. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I can do it. It might cost me too much. Sometimes we're just lazy. We don't want to do the work. It's called good works. And sometimes we don't want that. We just want good laziness. We just want to chill. Sometimes we're just frustrated by the things we see. I think that's a big one. So Any time that there's a good work that means usually there's some absence of good in a situation, which usually means it's frustrating then. You see something in a person, you see something in a place, you see something around you that is a problem, and it's easy for us to just be frustrated by that. Why isn't this working? Why don't they do this? Why aren't they like this? Why do they say this? Why does this place not have this? Why does it, and we just experience frustration But God is actually giving you eyes to see those things because he wants you to be involved in the good work. But it's easier to just be upset, to be scared, to be lazy. That's actually oftentimes what our response is. Fear, frustration, sometimes it's this too. We're just waiting for something better. There's maybe good works around us that we see, but we're like, yeah, but I really do. Listen, man, I really want to do good works. I really want to do good works. But these ones, not these ones, something else. I bet there's something better. Maybe it's because we feel like these ones are too small. These are kind of insignificant. Like, eh, these don't really count. I'm waiting for the big stuff. Or I'm waiting for the stuff that more fits with me and kind of what I want. And yet God has prepared these good works. He's put them in front of you. He's let you see them. He's put you exactly where you are. He's put them around you. He's put you in the spheres, in the relationships with the people, in the places, in the church, in the home, in the neighborhood. He's put you there and prepared it for you. There are other meals to be made, but he's put you in this kitchen. There are other soups to be had, but he wants pozole made. Mmm. So good. Hominy, mmm, man. If anyone makes pozole, next Sunday is not Donut Sunday. It's pozole Sunday. (laughs) Amen. It's good work that God has prepared for somebody to do. I can feel it right now. This is a word for somebody. God has prepared you for good works. If there's something in front of you, especially if it feels frustrating or if it feels challenging or if it feels beyond you, you can remind yourself God, you made me for this. You saved me for this. You created me for this. You prepared this in your wisdom. In your design, in your timing, in your rule and sovereignty, you made me for this. You got this ready for me to step into. I know, as a pastor, you know, and I'm not saying this in any sort of bragging way, but I'm involved in good works all the time. And I often have to lean back into this truth and say, okay, this does seem hard. This does seem challenging. This does seem big. This does seem like I don't know if I can do this. Or, and I, Okay, but God, you prepared this for me. You designed me for this. That's true of every one of us, though. I'm just telling you that I, I use this truth on my heart to help with fear, to help with frustration, to help with passivity all the time. God prepared these things for you. He is present with you, and in his wisdom, he put these things in front of you. So God gives us salvation, creation, destination, preparation. This is why sermon prep takes so long. You've got to come up with alliteration stuff. You know, I had the whole thing done like in an hour, and then it's like, all right, what are all the Asian words? And then I'm just joking. And then uh, the next final one is expectation. Expectation. It says that He prepared these things for us to do. Or other translations say, that we should walk in them. Same idea. I like both phrasings. But he prepared these things ahead of time for us to do. That we should walk in them. Meaning there is another Asian word, an obligation. There is an expectation that God has. He's not just saying, here's all these things out there, if you kind of are interested. It is for us to do. That we should walk in them means it is commanded. It is something he says, do this. Our life should consciously, intentionally, proactively be about this. If we don't embrace that, oftentimes two different things happen. One is that we do look at good works as just kind of this nice, optional, extra thing. It's for really mature Christians. It's for people that are five years further down the road than I am. Wherever you are, it's for something that's kind of like, yeah, you know, the basics is love Jesus, believe the Bible, and pray, but good works is kind of like, yeah, okay, that's nice. I really appreciate that there's some people that do that kind of stuff. Good thing we had Mother Teresa. Good thing we had, you know, whoever else, right? But it's something that God says is not nice, optional, extra, Not when you get there, arrive at this place, not something to be dismissed. It's an expectation for our lives. Or sometimes we actually view good works, not maybe as this extra optional thing, but an infringement on our life. And in that case, we might actually do them. We might actually do good works. We might actually be engaged in them. We might actually be a very servant-hearted or at least a serving person. We might actually do a lot of good works. We serve, we give, we're involved, we show up, but inside there's a resentment because we really view it as an infringement to the life that we want, the life that we think that is supposed to be our life. Here's my life, happiness, my choices, my decisions, the way my goals, my bucket list, what makes me happy. Here's good works. And every time these kind of push in, it feels like, okay, I'll do this over here, but uh, it's really kind of getting me off of the life that I want. My actual life is here, and these are kind of an annoyance, a bother, a thing I have to do. Instead of actually, what Paul says here is, we were walking this way, and God has brought us over here. We were walking in the ways of the world according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, according to our own flesh, and God has saved us to a whole new path, a whole new way of living that is a life of good works. It is a life where this is now your life. I saved you to bring you on this direction. And so if we view it as an infringement, it'll always be hard. It'll always be feeling sacrificial. It'll be easy to be bitter, easier to be resentful, Easy to give only as much as we can give and feel not guilty. Easy to just go, ah, frustrated by other people that aren't doing the things that we're doing. When we view it as an infringement, a hindrance to our real life, we'll also probably always feel tired because it always feels like something is sucking us away from the thing we really want. But, When we understand this, it's an expectation or our walk, then we see this is my life. This is what I was saved for. This is what I was created for. This is what God has prepared me for. This is the destination of where I'm going. This is my life. See, we talked a lot of, I talked about this in the very beginning, but we talked a lot about this last week, especially out of the Protestant Reformation. One of the things that they said, a little slogan that they had, was that salvation is by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. But they would also say this, it is by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. Meaning that our faith always includes our works. Your works don't save you, but they are what you are saved to. You are saved by faith alone, justification, by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. That's really what the book of James is about, is that a faith without works isn't actually faith. It's dead. If you say you have faith, but there is no works, I don't know what kind of weird faith you have. It's not the faith that God has for you. Another illustration that I've heard before that I think helps is of a train. And this would be great timing for a train to come by. Usually there's a train, all right, you know, the tracks are right over there, but didn't it didn't happen. If you think about a train, and it's got all this power, it's got the engine, it's got all this stuff that's moving it, making it go. But that is the power, that is what makes it go, that is the energy, that is what actually moves and gives life to the train. But that's not what it's for. The, the engine, all of that, whether it's steam or coal or whatever is powering the train, all of that is intended to move along the carts on the train. That's like faith and works also. Salvation is the energy. It's the power. It's what brings us from death to life. It's what makes our life actually move. But the whole reason that it's there is for to get somewhere, to go somewhere, to transport the carts to this place. Paul says, God saved you by grace alone. Why? For works. God created you in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. God prepared things ahead of time for you to do. Why? Good works that he has for you to do. There is an expectation in our life. This is what our life is if you are a Christian. God is a good God, and his intention is to fill the world with his goodness, and he calls us to be a part of it. Has your heart said to him, I'm yours. You saved me, and my life belongs to you. It's not my life, and I'll kind of do some of the things, but I surrender it to you. It's yours. I step into a life of good works because you're a good God. Have you said that? Is that consciously what your life is? Our life will be about something. Our life will be about something. There will be some kind of meaning that it has, whether it's right or wrong. Your life will be about something, and it's got a battery on it. might have a long battery or a short battery. But your life will be about something, and you get to choose what those days are about. Will it be your own purpose or the purpose that God has actually saved you for? How can you live with focus and purpose and meaning? It's as we know these truths that God gives to us. He gives us salvation, creation, destination, preparation, and expectation. He gives these things to our life. And when we push into those things, we experience a life of focus and purpose and meaning and joy We're going to take communion in just a moment. Communion is for Christians. It's when we remember that his body, Jesus's body was broken for us, that his blood was shed for us. It it goes back to the beginning. It is the salvation that we've been given. Where we say, you bought my life. It was purchased with the ultimate price, your blood. I, I didn't do anything to deserve this, but you took my sin on the cross. I should have died in my sin. You saved me because of your grace because of you, and because I'm now bought, my life belongs to you. I've been ransomed. I've been rescued. My life was paid for by the ultimate price, and now it belongs to you. I'm not my own anymore. So what does this mean for you? Even as you take communion, and you reflect, and you pray, what does it mean for you? For some, It might mean to confess that you've been trying to kind of go your own life and ignoring the good works that God has for you. For some, it may be to ask God to help if there's apathy in yourself where you just kind of don't care about the works that are to be done. Ask him to give you a passion, a desire to step into what he has. For some, it is just to ask God to help you to trust that the things that he has prepared for you, you can step into them. You don't have to be afraid. He's prepared them for you. So there's various things that you could pray right now as you take communion and remember the salvation he's given you. Go through these truths and remind yourself what you need. If you've got your build books, a couple questions that you can put in there, what is keeping me from the good works that God has for me? Is it fear? Is it laziness? What is it? Take some time right now and write it down or later this week and write it down. And then a second question that you can ask is, what are the good works that God's prepared for me right now? Not in the future, not five years, but what are the good works that God's prepared for me right now? Take some time and write those things. So let's pray, and then we will respond in songs. Take communion. When you are ready, I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer for any of these things or other things in your life. God, I thank you that you are a good God. The desires for there to be good done in this world, that you have saved us, you've created us, you're with us. We're not alone in the good works that you want to lead us into. Jesus, thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you give us something to actually be a part of. You give to us the deepest purpose, the deepest meaning, the deepest joy that we could ever have. Thank you that our life can have that. Thank you that our life has deep meaning when it's aligned with you. I pray that you would help these truths to settle deeper into our hearts that we would remember that we belong to you in salvation and that we would offer our lives to you in these good works, in your name, Jesus.